I bring you greetings from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What a great privilege for us today to get ourselves ready to dine with the Lord. It's so amazing when believers have such a wonderful opportunity to dine with him. You know, the Bible said that if you can't dine with me here on earth, there's no way you'll be able to dine with me in heaven. So, uh, we have started the heavenly blessings and the fellowship right from here. Hallelujah. So it's such a very wonderful privilege, brothers and sisters, for us to be gathered this morning. And as I bring the series to an end today, by the grace of God, we have landed in Laodicea. We were in Philadelphia last week. Wow, the city of the brotherhood, the faithful church. So if people, you know, ever thought that there are no Christians on earth, or in quote, good Christians, Philadelphia last week taught us that there are faithful Christians faithful Christians on earth. And I'm very thankful to God Almighty you know for strengthening us and drawing us closer to him to keep fighting the good fight of faith never allow the things surrounding us to sweep us away. You know the Philadelphia church God told them that hold on, hold on Hold on. Don't allow anybody to influence you. You keep doing the right thing. And in the end, you know, blessings will come over you. And today, as we have landed in Laodicea, we are turning to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. And from the NIV version, I read, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen and faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are a lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit 
you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and serve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuked and disciplined. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious or the overcomer, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. The Laodicea Church, the description God gives that church is that they are the look warm church. So the description, lukewarm church. Neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm. And something very notable, what they were praised for. None. God didn't praise them for anything. And then the warning about them was the number one. They're being lukewarm. Then number two, pretending to be well spiritually when they were impoverished. Number three, a need for repentance and overcoming. See, you have to repent and overcome that lukewarm attitude. And the promise given them was that they will share in Christ's throne. Oh, 
What an amazing God that we serve. He's always prepared to bring us closer and to give us a wonderful fellowship with him. In spite of our unfaithfulness, he is forever faithful and sincere and his heart is open. Let's look at the description of Jesus. You see, in, in, in each of the churches, God has a way of appearing to them, giving them a description that will make the people, you know, accept the one who is sending this message. And in the Laodicea, we read that to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Christ Jesus speaks of himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. As the Amen, Christ is the embodiment of faithfulness and truth. And the one who guarantees and fulfills the promises of God. As the Amen, you see, Amen is a Hebrew word meaning surely or truly. Throughout the Bible, the word is used to affirm important sayings to draw attention to God's authority and to close blessings and prayers. That's why each time when we are prayed, we are prayed in the name of Jesus. Amen. See, it's sealing the prayer. Sealing the prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here the apostle Paul uses the word to emphasize that the promises of God are resounding yes. In Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and Christ wanted the church in Laodicea to know that he is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness. The God of truth. You see the truth in Hebrew that is Amen? Who is perfectly trustworthy, faithful, and able to guarantee his word. Jesus as the Amen guarantees the truth of God's promises. Promises that are still available to us today. So if, if, if these people will turn away from their lukewarm attitude and come, God one day will make them sit with him on his throne. It is Amen. His promises are here and Amen. Jesus Christ also reveals himself as the originator of the creation of God. 
both material and spiritual. The expression, the beginning of the creation of God, as stated in King James Version, King James says that unto the angels of the church of the Dalmatian right, these are these things said the amen, the faithful and the true. The beginning of the creation of God. See, the beginning of creation of does not mean that he was, does not mean that he was the first person to be created. You know, as some people, you know, believe in that, the JWs and others, they think he is just one of the angels God created. Christ Jesus was never created. Rather, it means that he began all creation. It does not say that Christ had a beginning. No. Christ Jesus is the origin of the creation of God. And he is the preeminent over all creation. That is the God who spoke to the Christians in Laodicea. And he is the one who is speaking to us today. You see, when you go to the John Gospel, it says that in the beginning was the Word. And that Word was with God, and that Word was God. Nothing was created in this world without Him. So He has been in the beginning with God, and He is with God. When He came in person and died and rose again, He seated by the right hand of God. So He wants the church to know that, hey, the one we are serving is alive, oh. We are serving a living God. He saw all the things that the Laodiceans were doing. You know, people didn't care. People didn't care. Then he sent the message, tell them, this is the one who is giving you this message. And this is the one who is giving us the message today. Now let's look at that Laodicea city. The name Laodicea means either the people ruling or the judgment of the people. That is the meaning of Laodicea. It's either the people ruling or the judgment of the people. So it is a city being driven, you know, by the purpose of the inhabitants. Laodicea was... 45 miles south of Philadelphia, 90 miles east of Ephesus. Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven cities, known for its banking industry, manufacturing of wool, and a medical school that produced eye salve. Eye salve. They have a medical school that specializes on the eye. But you see, Jesus used what was in the city to tell the people that, but you guys, you don't see the way you have to see. You are blind. You are blind. They have a manufacturing wool, hmm, a banking industry. So there were, were men and women of substance. For them to start, you know, to have a banking industry, that means that they have wealth. So much so that, look, they need a place to keep their wealth. 
The Laodicea city had always had a problem with its water supply. At one time, an aqueduct, that was a, a, a water passage, was built to bring water to the city from hot springs. But by the time the water reached the city, it was neither hot nor refreshing cold, only lukewarm. So the, so the city was living with a lukewarm water, and that has become, you know, <laughs> the way the Christians are. The church had become as bland as the tepid water that came into the city. The lukewarm water and the lukewarm church. As it was in the city, so the church had become. Don't be conformed to the tradition of this world. Be transformed by the renewer of your mind. If licentiousness is going all throughout the country or the city, our church should not become a licentious church. That means the activity of the city, you know, the, the, the various activities of the city, you know, being driven into the church. So you, you, you see the life of the city, then you see the life of the church. It shouldn't be. But that was Laodicea. In verse 15 and 16, God said, I know your deeds. Hmm. See, there were no commendation from them. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Cold water is refreshing. Hot water is useful for medical purposes. Lukewarm water is neither. Neither. By analogy, the works of the Laodicean church made Christ Jesus want to vomit the believers out of his mouth. In a very vivid terms, the Lord rejects the half-hearted efforts of self-satisfied Christians. They circumvent true biblical principles to suit the principles of the world and become addicted to it. As a result, Christ is about to spit them out of his mouth. What does it mean to be spit out of his mouth? It could probably be that he will, he will stop his intercessory prayer for the believers. Remembering that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. In Romans chapter 8, 34, the Bible says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life? 
and is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. So, beloved, we are always in the mouth of Christ Jesus, bringing spiritual nourishment as well as physical nourishment unto our lives before his Father. Every blessed day. So we have to avoid lukewarmness and stir up the zeal that is in us for the Lord before he spit us out. Jesus would have preferred the church in Laodicea to have been extreme in its indifference or its zeal. But no, it was lukewarm enough to deceive people into thinking that it was a church of God. And so disgustingly lukewarm about divine things as to nauseate the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, because of their behavior, mm, Jesus was feeling nausea. I want to throw up. What is this? This is disgusting. Is that what Christians are doing? Oh my God, God, God. I want to throw out. I want to throw out these Laodiceans unless they repent and change and come to me. They're making me feel so bad. You're making me feel so bad. You know, that is why when you go to Ephesians, you say that sometimes our behavior, it makes the Holy Spirit so sad. Why do we grieve the Holy Spirit when we become look and warm? Lukewarm attitudes will grieve the Holy Spirit. Make Christ feel like throwing up. Throwing up. Divine things as to nauseate the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. In verse 17 and 18, Christ said that, Look, you people of Laodicea, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a tent. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I cancel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your sinful nakedness and serve to put on your eyes so you can see. Beloved, the Laodicean church was spiritually self-deluded. The church was characterized by pride, ignorance, self-sufficiency, and complacency. Because the church was worthy, it assumed that it, it had need of nothing, when in actuality, it was spiritually impoverished. So don't be deceived by richness. Don't be deceived. Not at all. You know, they say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And I don't need anything. 
I don't need to bother myself in prayer and fasting. I am okay. I am blessed. I don't need this. I don't need that. You people are making Christianity ching ching It is because you don't have it. That is why. You need to pray to God and ask God to bless you. And when you are blessed with substance, all this prayer and fasting and bombardments and others will stop. I remember a story about a guy who was so enthusiastic about messages that were being preached. And anything the preacher would say, he would shout, praise the Lord. And the whole congregation would turn to him. And then he'd sit down quietly. And as the preacher keeps pre preaching, he would again say, praise the Lord. Anytime the message resonates with him. And then somebody looked at him. And he saw that the guy was wearing a socks that was about half torn. So there is, uh, uh, he needed a new socks. And, 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 and when the preacher was preaching, and again the thing got into him, and he said, praise the Lord, a guy sitting by him and said, please, if you will stop the praise the Lord, hallelujahs, after the service, I'm going to give you a new socks. Then he said, oh, okay. But as the preacher was preaching, the thing got into him. And then he said, oh, socks, oh, those socks, praise the Lord. Socks, oh, those socks, praise the Lord. So you see, sometimes people think that substance is, is, is a means, you know, to, 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 to make you not feel so much into God's situations. And because you don't have, that is why every prayer meeting you are there. All prayer and fastings you are there. You are always engaged in the house of God because you don't have nothing to do. If you are as rich as we, the people of Laodicea, I am rich. I have worth. I don't need a thing. You will not be worrying yourself. But Jesus said, my friend, You are wretched. You are very pitiful. Even though you think you are rich, but you are poor. You are blind. Some Christians falsely assume that numerous material possessions are a sign of God's spiritual blessing. And even that, they always have excuses to obey Christ fully. Laodicea, as I said, was a very rich city, and as a result, the inhabitants were very wealthy, including some members of the church. It was a very wealthy city. Money was there. Hmm. As American is being said, that it is the land of what? Promise, lands of opportunities. So people living in Laodicea at that time were fully loaded including the Christians. And that made the church very wealthy. Because if, if they were doing offering or raising funds to do something, it's not easy at all for the people. The money is there. The money is there. 
So, Pastor, you don't talk too much. It's okay. How, how much do you need? How much? How much? How much? The church was very worthy. They have beautiful edifice, beautiful pews, beautiful everything. What the believers could see and buy had become more valuable to them than what is unseen and eternal. Where luxury and ease can make Christians feel confident, satisfied, and complacent. But brothers and sisters, no matter how much you possess or how much money you make, you have nothing if you don't have a vital relationship with Christ. How does your current level of wealth affect your spiritual desire? Have you taken God's generous blessings for granted and allowed them to erode our desperate and personal passion for Christ? Instead of centering your life primarily on comfort and luxury, find your true riches in Christ. The church believed that because it had expensive garments, it was well clothed when it was really spiritually naked. Very serious. When you are spiritually naked, the devil is not afraid of you. The witches and wizards are not afraid of you because you are naked. The Laodicean believers thought that spiritual sight indicated the ability to see spiritually when it was actually blind to spiritual realities. Fortunately, Christ provides spiritual gold that will make you rich. Say, so buy from me gold refined in fire. That is the true word of God. The absolute word of God. The unbeatable word of God. The created word of God. That word that is a part to the life of every Christian. Buy from me. Buy from me. And not the few dollars and other things that you, you have. Rich on earth and rich in heaven. Christ provides the spiritual goal that will make you rich. It will make you rich here on earth and it will make you rich in heaven. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Your treasures will be built up in heaven. Christ also provides white garment that stands for righteousness. That stands for righteousness. You see, they, they had a manufacturing wool uh, uh, factory. Very beautiful one. So, so the women, when it comes to dressing, oh la la. You see them, very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. But even with that beautiful garments, Christ is saying that 
they are walking naked. They should come and buy a garment from him. And that garment is the garment of righteousness. So sometimes, beloved, you see, it doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you have. The man in you makes your dress very different. People can go and buy very expensive dresses. Very, very expensive dresses. And they think that no one, you know, matches them. But if you don't buy it from Christ, it doesn't matter how much the cost of your garment, it will not be noticed. Somebody will, will, will go to, uh, where do we get the cheapest dresses to buy? Walmart, right? Walmart is one of those places, yeah. Somebody will go to Walmart. The other time I was telling the people that I, I got my jeans from the Walmart and, and the woman was saying, no, 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 Apostle, don't go to Walmart and buy your jeans. They were directing me to some shops. And I said, I like it from the Walmart. Because when I wore those jeans and I came, you guys were telling me, oh, you look like, you know, the youth and other things. Now when I told you where I bought it from, you were saying, don't go there. God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. God says that your treasures will be built in heaven. Christ also provides white garment that stands for righteousness. The city prides itself of beautiful clothes and dying industry, but they needed the righteousness, the righteousness garment of the Lord. That beauty of holiness. And again, the city had the medical school that specializes in the eye, and yet the believers could not see clearly. But Christ Jesus told the Christians to get medicine from him to heal their eyes so they could see the truth. In John 9, 39, the Bible said, Jesus said that for, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. My prayer is that we will see clearly the truth in God's word and live our lives in conformity with the teachings of Christ. Christ was showing the Laodicean believers that true value was not in material possession, but in a right relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The possessions and achievements of the Laodicean Christians were valueless compared with the everlasting future of Christ's kingdom. In verse 19, Christ said that those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. God's love for his children manifests itself in rebuke and chastising when they go wrong or astray. The intent of God's discipline is for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. In Hebrews 12, 10, the Bible says that our fathers disciplined us for a while, while as they taught best. But Christ disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. His purpose is not to punish us, but to bring us back to him. God may discipline you 
to help you out of your uncaring attitude. But he sees only loving discipline. But he uses only loving discipline. You can avoid his discipline by drawing near to him again through confession, service, and worship, studying his word. And the Holy Spirit will ignite our zeal for God when we allow him to work in our hearts. The proper response to God's loving discipline, brothers and sisters, is to repent. Change our wrong outlook and be zealous to move away from dangerous, lukewarm, spiritual state. If he did not care, he would not bother. With lingering tenderness, he calls on this nominal church to be zealous and repent. And he appeals to us today to be zealous and repent. We have to change our perspective and seek the spiritual riches of the ultimate overcomer. Rebuke. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says that preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Apostle Paul told Timothy to correct, rebuke, and encourage. It is difficult to accept correction. To be told we have to change. But no matter how much the truth hurts, we must be willing to listen to it so we can more fully obey Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says that, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. A truly spiritual person will never boast or be happy with the condition of the one who has sinned against God. But he or she will have the tender heart of a shepherd, making him or her want to restore the transgressor. He or she will not act in a spirit of pride or superiority, but in a spirit of gentleness, remembering that he also might be tempted. So, beloved, we have to rebuke and we have to discipline. In John 13, 33, sorry, 34 and 35, the Bible says that a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Brothers and sisters, to love is more than simply warm feelings. It is an attitude that reveals itself in action. How can we love others as Christ loved us and the church in Laodicea? By helping when it is not convenient. By giving when it hurts. By devoting energy to others' welfare rather than our own. By absorbing hurts from others without complaining or fighting back. This kind of loving is hard to do. 
That is why people notice when we do it and know they are empowered by a supernatural source. And that was the kind of rebuke and discipline Jesus told the disciples in Laodicea. And we must exercise it in our church unwavering. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says that those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. And this will serve as a strong warning to the others. You see, he was talking about, about the leaders, the pastors, and others in the church. That when they sin, there should not be any cover-ups. So is the members. So that others will learn from them. So if, 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 if we want to always cover the people, cover them, cover them, trust me, before you realize somebody has sinned in the church, and even before it comes to the pulpit to be said, the whole congregation are aware of it. They are always waiting patiently to see what the leadership will do. So Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be biased about doing things. No partiality. What is good for Mr. A must also be good for Mr. B. And this is what the church should be. So that all of us will live in purity. You see, the reason this discipline is coming to the Laodicea church is that God wants them to live in righteousness. It is the people that he loves that he rebukes. Otherwise, he could have sat down and said, look at these people. They are not heavenly bound. You let them wallow in their material substances and others. On that day, when I sit on my judgment seat, they will know where they belong. But no, we are serving a tender message for God. He's very loving. He loves me. He loves you. And he's never happy that I sin. He's never happy that you sin. He's never happy that any of us go wrong. And so at any time we go wrong, he will find any means to come to us and talk to us. So when it happens in the church, don't be bothered, please. That means that you are respected. If somebody lives in the church and does anything at all he wants to do and nobody talks about it, you know what that means? It means that you are an illegitimate child. You don't belong to the kingdom. Even though you are part of us in the church. But you are being considered as somebody who is not a candidate for heaven. That is why nobody will speak to you. But if you are a legitimate child of God, definitely people will come to you. That shows that you matter. Book must be carried out without bias or favoritism. Regardless of who has sinned, pastor, officer, or a member, he will one day face impartial judgment before God. Yes. Was face impartial judgment before God. When we have time, you read Romans 14, verse 12, and then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. All of us. And because all of us will come before God and give an account of ourselves, that is why we need to go through discipline. So that when I have made my confession, when I have made my confession and then I come before God, 
And even if somebody was, you know, like we're on the air, the person saw what I was doing, and be, be, with me before God, that person is making a reference, the angels will tell him when he made his confession, where were you? When he made his confession, where were you? That's why we have always said that when you go to heaven, there will be surprises. There are some people we have written off. But when, since they had people going to them, speak to them, and they make their confessions, God opened his arms and saved them. Once upon a time in the scripture union, there was this watchman who would not allow us to fellowship in one of the schools in Ghana. And each time it is uh, for us as members of the scripture union to meet and pray, he will lock the doors. And even when the Presbyterian priest will go to him and tell him, watchman, open the classrooms for this young guy so they can go there and fellowship. The watchman will turn to the priest and ask him, Papa, who are you? He said, I'm the priest. And who am I? He said, you are the watchman. And then he will point to the sanctuary. You see the sanctuary? That is where the priest belongs to. You see these classrooms? That is the place for the watchman. So I'm not opening the place. And this man kept tormenting us until sometime we could not find him, you know, at a place. We went for a hospital visitation. When we went there, lo and behold, this man was there, very sick. And you know what has happened to him? All his two legs were amputated. And, and as a very strong, stout man, he has turned to about this side on the bed. And then we asked him, watchman, what is wrong? He said, yeah, I am sick. I have a problem. And I, I have been admitted at the hospital. We asked him, would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, yes. So we led him to a prayer of confession. And, and he said it after us, and we prayed for him. The following week, the watchman was dead. The following week, he was dead. You will go to heaven. The one who was given us pressure of entering into the room to go and pray and fellowship as members of the scripture you know you see at the last minute of his death he has received Christ and now he's a repented person seated at the bosom of Abraham so you see when you go wrong and somebody comes to you it means that you matter you have to accept that that you matter if there are people who will be pampering you Paul warned Timothy, tell those people that are showing favoritism. That person, on that day when Jesus sits at the bar on high, he can never come to defend you. Never ever. He can't come to defend you. He can't come and tell Jesus that Jesus, you see, uh, uh, this guy, he was such a nice person, but the city which we live in was, 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 was too much, you know, of you know, licentiousness and lasciviousness and Lord, what else can you talk about? So he tried. That person can never come before Jesus. That day, it will just be you and your God. So Jesus said, those that he loved, he disciplined and then he rebuked. Let's rebuke one another. That is the true friendship. 
If you know that what I'm doing, you know, I'm treading on a very dangerous path, don't papa me as an apostle. Tell me true, truly, apostle, be very careful the way you are. Otherwise, you will fall. You know, don't, 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 don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of your brother. Don't be afraid of your sister. Sometimes because of what we will get from one another, we don't want to speak the truth. But the one whose words were ye and army, he's the one that spoke to the church in Laodicea. A good friend will always tell his friend the truth and nothing but the truth. The truth, but nothing but the truth. And then when he got to verse 20, Christ standing at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. He with me and I with him. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. I will come in and eat with that person. I'll come in. Christ is outside the professing church. Politely knocking and inviting individuals. Not the mass of the people. To leave the apostate church in order to have fellowship with him. He's appealing to us as individuals. It doesn't matter what the church accepts as a norm. He disapproves it. Lukewarmness is not good, church. It's not good. Yes, I know you have beautiful buildings, you have beautiful houses. You have money. You are rich. When you go to your bank accounts, there's so much money in it. But I'm completely out of your house. I'm out of that house. So I'm knocking. I'm knocking at your house. Jesus wants to have fellowship with us. And he wants us to open up to him. He is patient and persistent in trying to get through us. Not breaking and entering, but knocking. The choice is always either to let him in or not. He will not force you. I cannot force you. We can't force anybody in the church. The Laodicea church was complacent and rich. They felt self-satisfied. But they didn't have Christ's presence in their midst. Jesus Christ knocked at the door of their hearts. But they were so busy enjoying worldly pleasures that they didn't notice that he was trying to enter. The pleasures of this world, brothers, money, Security, material possession can be dangerous because their temporal satisfaction makes us indifferent to God's offer of lasting satisfaction. 
If you find yourself feeling indifferent to church, to God, and to the Bible, you have begun to shut Christ out of your life. Leave the door of your heart constantly open to Christ Jesus. And you won't need to be worried about hearing his knock. This verse is often cited as an invitation for unsaved individuals who have yet to receive spiritual salvation and personal relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus. However, while that is a vivid invitation, we must also keep in mind that Christ originally gave this message to a church whose people had neglected their relationship with Christ and they were out of touch with him. In his self-sufficient prosperity and worldliness, the church in Laodicea had excluded the Lord Jesus Christ from its congregation. Christ's name was mentioned, but he had no control in their lives. So just like in our hearts, Jesus is, is, is just, you know, part of my heart. It is a self that is seated in the heart. And you see, Christ doesn't force us to do anything. If I want to go and commit sin, Christ will never, you know, hold me up tightly. I won't let you go and throw me off. He will passionately be appealing to you that my son, my daughter, this is wrong. The choice is always yours. Christ's invitation spoken from outside the door is a request for renewed companionship with any individual who would turn from his or her own way and return to a devoted faith and renewed passion for Christ. His invitation is to sit down with him at the table and share spiritual nourishment. When we let him in and follow him, in humility, even rejection and suffering, we will also follow him in glory. We will share the glory of Christ's throne and reign with him over the millennial earth. When we let him in, he will fight our battles. He will show us the best system of life. He will restore our first love. He will deliver us from persecutions. He will protect us from compromising. He will guide us against corruption. He will revive us from the dead. And he will make us a faithful church. And he will deliver us from lukewarm Christianity. In verse 22, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the last time, the hearer is suddenly advised to listen to the voice of the Spirit. All along I've been telling you, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It is undeniable that the Laodicean church presents a vivid picture of the age in which we live in. Luxury living abounds on every hand while souls are dying for want of the gospel. Christians are wearing crowns. Apostles, apostles generals, apostle doctors, apostle professors, the apostolic pronuncios, the bishop general, the executive directors, doctor prophets, evangelists, 
Genoa as a high priest, man of God, Pope, Holy Land, clergy, clergywoman, archbishop, archdeacon, archpriest, father, confessor, elders, deacon, and deaconesses, and name them. Big crowns. Instead of bearing a cross. Christians today boast of their jets, expensive cars, expensive clothes, expensive perfumes, expensive mansions. You know, they see all these things as, as a yardstick of blessings from God. This is what Christians are bluffing today. Have you seen my house? Do you know how much it weighs? Hey, you, you are in the rented apartment, right? Hmm. The post of all these things. The church today has become more emotionally set over sports, politics, and television, more than of Christ. There is little sense of spiritual need, little longing for true revival. How can we possess the nation? We give the best of our lives to the business world then turn over the remnants of a wasted career to the Savior. We cater for our bodies, which in a few short years will return to the dust. We accumulate instead of forsake. We lay up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. God have mercy on us. As we open our hearts for a fresh anointing to possess the nation, Christ will strengthen us. The Spirit and the churches. Let, a, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christians must continually recognize the relationship between the churches and the Holy Spirit and respond accordingly. Churches are under the authority not only of Christ as the Lord and the head of the church, but also of the Holy Spirit. Most churches believe in the presence of Jesus Christ, but they are not sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Christians must listen attentively and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit, particularly as he speaks through God's inspired word. The letters to the seven churches are powerful enough to set a revival in us to possess our homes, our friends, and the nation and the cities that we live in. In conclusion, Christ Jesus is appealing to us to be fully separated from this world's value system and be totally committed to him. We are to find spiritual power source in our lives in Christ, not in the temporal world. As Christians, we are to gauge or we are to gauge success by measuring the rod of God rather than by the world's social financial standard. When we understand God's view from the eternal, the present comes into correct perspective. Do not value worldly success. Do not just trust worldly worth. Repent when you have done these things. Recognize that worldly assets have no spiritual or heavenly value. Don't be a lukewarm church. God be with you this morning. Amen.